Today's episode is brought to you by Ardent Cannabis Infusion. Their new Ardent FX is the only all-in-one portable cannabis kitchen where you can decarb, infuse, and bake all in one machine. They're calling it the Easy Bake Ardent. The Ardent requires no prior cannabis cooking, infusion, or baking experience. You get full activation and infusion of THC, CBD, CBG, and other cannabinoids using flour, keef, or concentrate. It works with butter or oil, and it's odorless and mess-free with no cleanup. The new model is four times larger, holding up to an ounce of flour. The RNFX is truly a revolutionary all-in-one activation, infusion, melting, and baking appliance, and Trailblazers can get $30 off by using our special link, blazinbakery.com forward slash ardent. That's blazin, B-L-A-Z-I-N, bakery.com forward slash ardent, A-R-D-E-N-T. And if you're looking for something to use with your new batch of Ardent Oil, head over to blazinbakery.com and you'll get 20% off all Blazin brand products. That's our original best-selling brownie mix, our easy three-minute microwave version, and our new CBD dog treats featuring our proprietary Melabonin Calming Blend. Just use code TRAILBLAZIN, that's T-R-A-I-L-B-L-A-Z-I-N, TRAILBLAZIN, for 20% off at blazinbakery.com. You're about to get insider access to cannabis industry experts, entrepreneurs, activists, and living legends. Meet the people who live and blaze this life every day and are about to change the world. Now your host, the founder of Blazin Bakery, New Jersey's first edibles company with over a decade of national advocacy, sales, connections, and adventures behind her. A true trailblazer in cannabis. This is Trailblazing with Tiramisu. Today on Trailblazing with Tiramisu, I have Steve Bloom. Steve is a former editor of High Times, Freedom Leaf, and currently publishes and edits CelebStoner.com, one of the leading online sources for cannabis and celebrity news. While at High Times, he produced the Stony and Doobie award shows and the Hempelation Benefit albums, raising $200,000 for normal. He's worked with artists such as Snoop Dogg, Willie Nelson, Ozzy Osbourne, Wu-Tang Clan, Fishbone, Redman, Ziggy, Steven, and Damian Marley, to name a few. Steve was the recipient of Normal's Media and Culture Award in 2004. He has appeared as a moderator, panelist, and speaker at many cannabis reform events nationally, including the Normal Conference, the Drug Policy Alliance Conference, Seattle Hempfest, and Cypress Hills Smokeout and Spring Gathering events. He also produced the New York Cannabis Parade and Rally for the past three years. Steve is the author of Video Invader, Watch out for the little guys, pop culture, and reefer movie madness. Everyone, a true cannabis trailblazer, my friend, Steve Bloom. So I just listened to you this week do a podcast with someone um, or a Zoom webinar type thing. And I did not know that you did Hempelation, which... Who am I? <laughs> who am, who am I? <laughs> you are... I and said there, there's going to be a fabulous intro about everything okay, you okay. did, but you are Mr. Steve Bloom, former editor of High Times, former editor of Freedom Leaf, current editor of Celeb Stoner, all around cannabis activist and cool guy. But is that a sufficient recap? Thank you. So at least people know what they're talking about when you bring up temptation. 
compilation was to raise money for normal. Um, and I have had this since I was 16 years old, which was a really long time ago. Um, <laughs> giving, up, giving up your age. I know. The, well, I don't know if you could still get these to see what year is on the back, although you probably searched 1995. That. All right. I don't like you anymore, Steve. <laughs> I have to edit that. <laughs> People are doing the addition. They can figure that out. <laughs> no, lies. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was a kid. I was in high school. And this was one of my favorite CDs. So I went through Priano five years ago when we really just committed to like, I'm just streaming. And, you know, I purged all my CDs. I threw out, you know, stacks and stacks. Just all, I kept my five or six favorite bands and anything with sentimental value. And this is one of the ones I hung on to because I list, I'm, I'd be amazed if it played because I probably wore the whatever off it. But you know, that was the first time I heard like David Peel and some of the, whoever was on that and uh, great job. So just let's start there. Tell me about doing Hempelation. I'm so proud of Hempelation. Joe's 25 <laughs> years and I've been actually thinking about you know, finally putting together a YouTube uh, channel to have all the tracks collected for Hempelation because sadly, there are a bunch you can't get on YouTube. You know, it's YouTube's pretty good about, you know, giving you all the music that exists in the world. They don't have every Hempelation track. Uh, there's a oh. few here and there. Every so often I do uh, flashbacks to Hempelation at Celeb Stoner. I did it recently with I Want to Take You Higher by uh, Blues Traveler. And uh, now it's just a fun story on how that came about. And, uh, and, but I looked up some other tracks and I can't find them. Uh, huh. There's a version of Homegrown by a band called Gus that's on the album. And uh, I believe it's on the first album, unless it's on the second one. And uh, that's just, and I, and I looked it up recently because Homegrown just came out all these years later, an album called Homegrown by Neil Young, which he held back with the song Homegrown on it. Although the song Homegrown was released on a later album. And I wanted to kind of compare the two tracks, hmm. you know, from the Hempelation, couldn't find it. So I would like to do that. I need a little assistance on setting up a YouTube channel. But basically, just to back up on this, um, back in around, you know, when I was a music editor of High Times in the early 90s, there was a real wave of bands that were interested in legalization. And uh, High Times took advantage of that by featuring them in the magazine. It started with Cypress Hill and the Black Crows. And kind of expanded throughout the decade. And there was kind of a lineup of bands that really wanted to be featured in the magazine. And at the same time, uh, benefit albums were kind of popular for different causes. And I thought, well, why not one for marijuana? Because so many people seem to want to do something, you know, so give them something to do, you know, so to speak, you know, perform at a concert, do a benefit, do something. And benefits were popular and the record industry was putting out a lot of CDs like that back then. I was especially uh, influenced by a series called Sweet Relief. And so, um, so I, we came up with this idea. It was essentially my idea, Hempelation. I went to Normal and pitched it to them that we would team up, which we agreed on. And they had a guy there named Eric Steenstra, who's been involved with uh, Boat Hemp for years. Um, and Eric was associated with Normal then, friends with Steve D'Angelo, famous for Harborside Health Center out in California, but Steve was an East Coaster and a Washington DC guy then and worked with closely with Normal. And Steve was really funding Normal to help work on special projects. So he basically funded Eric working at Normal during that time and Eric and I teamed up on the Hempelation. So it was Eric, Steenster and I as the co-producers and we needed to find uh, a partner to release the album and put up the money. And we found Capricorn Records. Uh, which is a great label, famous for the Allman Brothers and sort of Southern rock style. 
and uh, and they had been a label that had kind of come and went a few times and were revived uh, in the early 90s. Uh, and so we knocked on their door and they're really kind of a family sort of operation run by Phil Walden and his family. And they were super friendly to the cause and they and, and they just jumped the board. We couldn't have done it without oh. them. But it, was a, it was a costly album. Every band got $5,000 to produce a track, um, you know, even if it was already done. Uh, because everybody was called most favored nations. Everybody gets the same amount. So it was $100,000 right there. Wow. You know, 20 tracks, 100000 Who's going to spend that kind of money but a, a label that was beyond, behind it? And uh, yeah. not to mention, you know, printing costs, you know, uh, making the CD, manufacturing, promotional, everything. Sure. They did. So the first so, album. Was, do you remember how much you ended up raising for normal? Yeah, we raised about $150,000 with that album. Oh, that's great. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was pretty much beloved by Normal ever since because uh, Normal needed money and I came through and I even got a raise at high times for that. They were so impressed with the whole effort. Oh, cool. um, and uh, it was just a blast. It was a great process. And, I, and getting the bands, you know, they, uh, the, you know, we kind of like a who's who of 90s bands on that, on that, lit, on that album. I mean, 311, Ziggy Marley, Blues Travelers, Sublime. For sure, Black yeah. Crow, Black Crows, Cypress Hill, Widespread Panic. Uh, what a list. Uh, so, but the interesting thing about the reason why that sold so well, besides it being a good record uh, and with all these great artists, was that the uh, the drugs are uh, made a point to uh, attack the album. Uh, well, that helps. They did. He actually yeah. there was there was a uh, there was a meeting in L.A. of entertainment executives around that time, and Lee Brown, who was the drug czar then, came to that luncheon, brought the Hempelation album, held it up, and said, "This is what's wrong with your industry." <laughs> I'm not kidding. Wow. Records like this that promote legalizing, you know, an illegal drug, among uh -huh. other things, were part of the reason problems. And so that day, I got a call from High Times. Well, I got a call I'm sorry if we, if we don't legalize it, how do we have an industry? Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, so, so they NBC actually called High Times that day, asking for an interview with me, and I had to do a, like a big kind of pre-rehearsal to you know, make sure I said the right thing. And uh, then I, I did my interview, and I had a quick quote on the nightly news, and. So that just sort of blew the album up, you know, thank cool. goodness, you know, for the, the negative publicity that stirred up, you know, a lot of articles about it. Drugs are attacks, you know, weed album or whatever you yeah. want to say. And so that really stirred up a lot of interest. So I think that was why. And then we also had a backlash in Boston area where some stores wouldn't sell it. And oh, each God. place that happened, it just stirred up more interest. So that was great. And so we did that. The album came out and that was, you know, so successful that we decided to do another. And you don't seem to have that one, but the 1998 version, Hempelation, yeah. Freedom is, well, the first one was Freedom is Normal. The second one was Free to Weed. And the second one in 98, I had a lot harder time getting groups involved. I just don't know why. I, I, all my, my list of favorite bands, almost none of the above really wanted to be on it for one reason or the other. And it was so, it's kind of a real mixed bag on this one. Uh, yeah. but, uh, but the highlights to me are Willie Nelson and George Clinton. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. Album. And interestingly, Willie Nelson wasn't on the first one. And so one day I got a call from him at high times. We had sent him a Christmas card and I put my, uh, my business card in and it, Willie wrote back, you know, thanking us for the Christmas card. I got a phone Aww. call and it's like, oh, Steve, and it's Willie Nelson. And I like, <laughs> no, 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 you got to be kidding. Some friends pulling my leg. No, no, Steve. 
this Will and Nelson. And so we started having a conversation and I said to him, you know, we had this album that came out. Did you know about it? He just no. And, I said, and Willie's a big normal supporter. But we couldn't really track him down for the first album. And, uh, and so then, you know, I said, well, would you like to be on the second one? And he said, yes. And we started discussing cool. what song he would have on it. So we ended up getting him that way. And then bit by bit, we pieced together the second one. The second one didn't Very go cool. as well as the first. The government was, was smart to not attack it. So that one raised about 25000 So I'd say maybe close to $200,000 to normal Very fund collections. So a uh, couple, couple notes I have there. First off, um, if you're interested in doing a third, uh, one really cool thing that, so like I'm a big Tim Burton fan and they have the Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack. They did Nightmare Revisited, where they had like modern bands come in and cover the original track list of A Nightmare Before Christmas. I think it would be so amazing if you had like modern uh, cannabis bands, you know, next generation come in and cover that original track list. That would that's be another. That's, that's a great idea. Another idea yeah. we had a while ago was to sort of do a greatest hits from Hempelation and add on, say, five new songs, you know, from new yeah. artists, you know. But to be honest, the industry is not where it was then. There's no, no. supporter, there's no backer, there's nobody uh, who's gonna put up the money for this. It's just the industry is, is sort of gone in a lot really? of ways. You know, it doesn't exist the way it did. They don't spend that kind of money. There's not, they don't have the artist development. You know, and when everything sort of went free, you know, the industry went into a tailspin and they've rebounded, but it's not the same. I, no. I, wouldn't, make, I wouldn't try and make another effort like this again. No. Yeah, I mean, the industry's changed. I think the time, the time kind of came for it at a good time when the industry was supportive, when the industry existed, and, you know, we didn't have to put up the money, and it could be done in a real professional way instead of kind of, you know, maybe yeah. a, you know, a little budge way. You know, this was, this yeah. was like top of the line. Well, if you want to do the YouTube thing, Blazing Bakery's YouTube channel, I'm happy to put it up on that and cross-promote and anything I can do to help out. So, you know, I'll have to figure that out. For some reason, I'm a little behind the curve on YouTube in terms of setting up a channel, but maybe I'll do it. I really would like to get those 37 songs up there. Yeah, that would be awesome. So, um, like, so one thing with Normal, which is still really active, is now you could really see a lot of what they're... Uh, money goes to is legalization is actually hitting a tipping point. So back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, what was really the mission with normal? Was it every decade we thought this is the one we're getting legalization or was it just knowing you were chipping away little by little? I mean, I'll talk about the history though. I really wasn't involved back then. You know, in the 70s, I was, you know, in my teens and 20s and, uh, I really didn't participate in the legalization effort. I didn't go to any of the rallies, smoking. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I try to explain it to people that New York, even though there was a scene in New York, the Yippies, um, there really wasn't a big problem in New York around marijuana. You know, marijuana was dec decriminalized in 1977. It was hard to get arrested in New York for pot. It really was. Uh. You know, it was pretty lenient back in those days. The 70s was pretty open, fun times in New York, even if, you know, the economy went down the tubes, you know, it was sort of like anything goes. And so the cops weren't hassling people like they do, not so much today, but like they did under Giuliani and and Bloomberg, you know, hundreds of thousands of arrests for marijuana. But anyway, back to normal. I mean, normal's, you know, you know, key function in the 70s was to decriminalize marijuana. That really was the goal. And they, uh, I think about 10 states decriminalized, starting with Oregon, New York in 77. By 78, the decrim wave ended. And so from 73 to 78, those 10 or 11 states. Uh, so I think that's what really normal was known for back then. And came the 80s, and 80s was a difficult time for high times as well, you know, yeah. during the just say no era. And I don't think normal probably did particularly well during that era either. I mean, high times barely 
you know, made it through that era. Um, there was loss of advertising, hard hard to find the magazine because retailers were sort of on the run, don't stock huh. stuff, advertisers, paraphernalia. Your, your, your paraphernalia company would have been hassled uh, for advertising in high times, you know, and probably would have dropped out for a minute because you don't want to take the chance. So the money was dropping off. So it was a difficult time, the 80s. Uh, normal and legalization movement, you know, really picked up a lot of steam in the 90s. You know, post 12 years of republicanism in the U.S. and a very anti-drug you know, mission at that time. And Clinton came in, and even though Clinton was really not, you know, marijuana advocate, and he said he didn't inhale, the Democrats kind of opened up the door to a new wave of legalization, or at least the era was ripe for a new wave of legalization. And Normal, you know, took advantage of that as well by jumping on the bandwagon and doing everything they do. And also around that time was splintering off as well. The marijuana policy project started and they were splinter of height of, of, of normal and the drug policy alliance had begun, you know, in a similar period of time in the late eighties, early nineties. So, you know, some really strong groups started to develop in addition to normal to try to lead, you know, the movement towards legalization. Very cool. So, um, I, like I said, I listened to you just the other day and you were telling some fun celebrity stories. I hate to make you repeat yourself, but I really did love the Snoop story. Would you mind? Uh, Cause yeah, well, I, but I'll also, if you want to tell a different one, like just you met, so you were the music and culture person at high times for a while. So you pretty much had every celebrity that came through the doors while you were there interacted with you in some way. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, because I brought in many of them. I mean, me and uh, Malcolm McKinnon, who was known as Dan Stein back then, you know, both of us were sort of like, I guess you could say celebrity chasers a little bit for high times. <laughs> yeah. Even though the celebs didn't necessarily always sell that well on the cover, uh, we always thought it was really good for the credibility of the magazine, you know, to have celebrities and also better location for the magazine on newsstands. So maybe it wasn't always stuck in some gardening section or tattoo section, <laughs> or you could be music section, a little easier to find. Uh, so, um, and, and it just, but the buds usually were the best sellers in high time. So we had to kind of fight a way to get the celebrities on the cover, but it took celebs like Snoop Dogg and Cypress Hill to actually draw enough interest from the audience to, for the company to allow us to keep doing those. You know, as long as they sold relatively well, we could continue to come back with more celebrity features on the cover. And so Snoop Dogg was one who we were seeking out for a while. And through the 90s, you know, say we started with Cypress Hill 92, and Snoop was just breaking out at that time. But Snoop had a lot of legal difficulties back then. And so he was a little hard to really, and also his label, he's in and out of re record labels, and really wasn't a good direct contact. And so there were a couple of false starts to try and get something going with Snoop Dogg. And then around 2000, uh, we had the opportunity, uh, let's see, I'm thinking, uh, yeah, in 2000, because Snoop was on the cover of the first issue of the new millennium. So it was 2000 January issue. And uh, we, uh, an opportunity came our way uh, for Snoop Dogg to, uh, to come and do an interview with us. And, uh, and he came to a photo shoot uh, by Michael Benabib. Uh, and uh, Mike was a pretty good photographer who had a really good book. And, and uh, Snoop decided, you know, he liked him. So we decided to go with that photographer. And the day that Snoop showed up, it was a slow day for, I bet it was the summer. No, let's see, it was January, so it was maybe September. Yeah, it was like like, like fall. And back then, now not so much the case, but there were a lot of dry periods where there was not that much marijuana around, especially in the yeah. summer. I had to kind of wait for outdoor stuff to come in. And, 
And so it was a little dry and we have to really do a big search and, and Snoop was already there and we didn't have any weed at the photo shoot yet and we didn't know what we were gonna get. And so some guys from the office came in, Rick Cusick and a few others, Mike Chervinak. Yeah, yeah, no, I know those guys. Your, your Jersey guys. And yeah, so yeah. That, they went out on a search and came back with a big bag of weed, brought it into the uh, studio, opened it up, showed it to Snoop. Snoop put his head in, smelled it, and it came out like, that's good, you know, like that's good. And so he's like approved. Yes. And then from that point on, we had a very long photo shoot. And the photo shoots usually got done quickly because because the whoever was being photographed would often kind of get very red eyed and kind of get very tired and you know kind of lose steam you know so you kind of get it done quick first hour and everything after that would really slow down snoop also liked the marijuana we had at the shoot so he wanted some so we had to negotiate that with him you know usually we just gave the artist some marijuana but he wanted like all of it uh, so we have to negotiate that because I don't think if it was ours, we often would rent the marijuana from somebody and bring it back and pay them like a rental fee. That, that was what I found really fascinating because to me, I always imagined High Times as either having this like giant back door or like secret grows because you're taking pictures of plants somewhere. So you're just like, they're not all above board. Like they must yeah, just have like closets full. No. It wasn't really in the office. And, you know, we're, all those photos of mass quantities were like growers sites and you know cultivation places and so oftentimes we didn't have a lot and also the the office was pretty careful legally to you know they didn't even like us smoking in the office we always had problems with that because you, know, you get busted in the building by tenants and whatever and you know just problems they didn't want to bring attention to high times you know just don't bring attention to us yeah, yeah. don't bring the the feds don't bring the government don't bring anybody into our office so they were just very careful um, but so, yeah, so that time, so that day, you know, we, uh, that, it was a long photo shoot for some reason. It went on for hours. And I remember coming to the end of the photo shoot and Snoop Dogg was asleep on the couch. <laughs> he was. And I went over to him, tapped him on the shoulder. I said, Snoop, come on, let's go. And it's like, I had to wake Snoop up to Adorable. have a photo shoot. And the next <laughs> day he came to our office. We did a full interview. And, uh, and that day he was great. And he came back up to the office and he was on Howard Stern that morning and he was telling everybody on Howard Stern how High Times has the greatest weed. And again, that kind of caused concern because I got into the office that morning and I was immediately told by some people that Snoop was on Stern. I hadn't heard it this morning. He was telling everybody that High Times has the best weed, which, you know, is just pointing a finger at like, hey, go up to the High Times office. And yeah. I just walked by and I said, hey, great publicity for High Times, you know. And he came up to the office later on and he had kind of was out of that weed that we had either gave him or sold him whatever we did at the photo shoot he needed more so that was a okay now we need to get some more weed for snoop dog while we do a photo shoot and then he sat at my um at my desk and he did autographs for everybody in the office everybody ah, cool. i'm gonna get this little line at my door everybody's sitting wait, waiting to get an oh. autograph he was just great you know sweet uh, he, guy. Was, he was super friendly uh and we uh, featured him on the cover a couple of times while i was there but that was the first time and then we followed up when he won an award that we gave him he came in for that we put him on the cover again so it was a you know it was a nice association um i would say willie nelson is always a highlight uh just any time spent with willie nelson for me it was many years you know kind of stalking willie to get on his bus you know it's kind of a uh it's it's kind of you know the uh 
you know, the thing that most donors, you know, kind of talk about bucket list kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and I, it was numerous times where I could not get on that bus. It was in New York City when it was crowded. It was in Austin where there was too many celebs on the bus. They didn't want, you know, a snoop from high times up there, you know, reporting. I remember there was one time Jessica Simpson was on the bus. There were just different people and they just wanted to keep her protected. And then finally, uh, back in uh, when I was just starting with Freedom Leaf and working with Chris Goldstein, uh, Chris said, can we do an interview with Willie? And Willie was uh, performing in Atlantic City. So we went down there and Chris and I got on that bus and did our interview with Willie, which was a highlight. So cool. I, I finally got that one checked off. I, I wouldn't even think that like the high times people would be considered like a snoop, but I guess, yeah, I because mean, I don't mean that. I don't mean that, but, but I remember his, yeah. I remember in Boston, I remember waiting outside. It was around South by Southwest. and was this party that Willie would have during South by Southwest. So we went over to the event and we hung out backstage, hung out by the bus, tried to get in. And I remember the guy, the, the guy who was the security guy at the bus, he just kind of kept saying, he just looked at me because not happening. <laughs> I mean, just not happening. It's like, okay, we kept waiting, waiting, waiting. But it finally happened uh, see. many years later. I, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I always think like girl thoughts of like, how can I get on this bus? Which are usually not the most legit thoughts. But, you know, I guess as a guy, maybe there's less cards to play. <laughs> I, I don't think you would have flirted with your way on. With a girl going on a bus with a rock band, you got to be careful. You never know what, the, what they have in mind. I trust Willie Nelson. He's, I don't mean, I said a rock band. <laughs> Willie Nelson. A rock okay. Band. Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, so you've had a lot of crazy highlights. Ozzy Osbourne, Wu-Tang, Fishbone, Redman, uh, Ziggy, Steven, and Damian Marley. Uh, is there anyone that you kind of really connected with that you've kind of kept in touch with over the years? I love Ziggy. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I get, I'm friends with Be Real. Um, the, you know, it's funny because the people, you know, since I left High Times, you know, just 13 years later, I've tried to keep friendships going with some of these artists. And so I will go to their shows and, uh, and Ziggy, every time I go to a Ziggy show, I'm always invited back after the show for a hang. Uh, I just love the guy. We have the same birthday. Uh, you know, he's been doing some great stuff lately. I mean, just this weekend, there, he did a, there was a tribute to his mother, Rita, and there was a uh, Bob Marley concert that they released a couple of weeks ago. But I think Ziggy's behind a lot of this stuff because it's the 75th year of Bob Marley's birth. And so they're doing a lot of special events. And this year they were going to do a lot of live special events, but of course that stuff got shut down. So they've been all over the, the internet. So I love Ziggy. Um, you know, guys like Be Real, I can always count on him and call him and you know, maybe get him to participate in an event or something like that. Tommy Chong is super supportive. Uh, I've become real friendly with Tommy Chong over the years. Now, it wasn't, I met Tommy at High Times, but uh, I really wasn't his liaison at High Times as much as some other people were. Like a lot of us had sort of were liaisons to certain people. Mm-hmm. And Tommy was a little tighter with, um, with uh, Dan Skye, Malcolm McKinnon. But I got to know Tommy sort of in the later years when I was at High Times. And then, and then post High Times, uh, I've, been, uh, I've done a scripted interview with Tommy at uh, five different uh, International Cannabis Business Award conferences. I started it one year, uh, was booked to interview Tommy on stage, like a, you know, like a history of his life. And, and I do audiovisual stuff, show some footage, some clips, some audio. Uh, interview and and just you know and run through it in a scripted fashion and and that we did that five times that was a blast. So I'm really really friendly with Tommy these days. Like we're that's tight awesome. He's on my sh- 
He's definitely on my short list to have on the podcast. I would love to have him on. Available. I, I might be able to hook that up for you. Ah, that would be amazing. So uh, I MedMen, as you know, went under, and I just heard a podcast with Tommy Chong. Uh, Cheech and Chong are looking to buy out, I think, their line to do dispensaries. And I think the person possibly bidding against them is High Times to do a line of dispensaries. So I thought either way, kind of cool, but I don't know who who you think would win that cage match. Well, high times is not doing so well right now, so I don't. I wouldn't bet on high times. Uh, I would no. bet on Cheech and Chong. For sure, uh, well, Cheech and Chong has a licensing deal uh, to have their products sold, uh, you know, in uh, Cheech and Chong themed stores. Uh, so we'll see if that gets off the ground. You know, there's a lot of stuff that gets suggested and then not necessarily happens. Yeah. Yeah. And especially in this environment right now, opening up retail, more retail, that might not be the wisest thing to do. You might want to wait and see what's happening with COVID before yeah. you start opening more stores. And high times, they're just kind of hexed. You know, they just, everything they do goes wrong. So, you know, yeah, what been- happened there? What, I, it just seemed like if anyone was poised to be this legacy brand that had a giant head start, it was high times. And they have just dropped the ball again and again. Like, you say they're hexed. Do you think it's just bad luck or bad? I mean, not really luck. They create their own problems. But I just feel like high times, you know, they, it just seems like whatever this group who took over the company does, it goes wrong. You know, they make promises that they can't keep. They buy something, it drops. They they make they say they're in the retail business. They're not. You know, they just well, they're just trying to drive people to invest in their stock offer. You know, they have a stock offer that's yeah. basically a crowdfunding offer. It's not really you get anything, but you're kind of helping high times along. They've raised fifteen million dollars alone from gullible, you know, fans. You know, yeah. who are just giving high times money that may convert the stock one day if they ever get listed, but they're not listed because everything yep. they do. For financially is wrong they're constantly being told do this do that do that they're constantly being extended because they don't have enough money so i don't know anything about the owners currently uh, yeah. the team that took it over but as an example you know they they back in 2017 they claimed to have you know bought 60 percent of the shares of the company for 70 million dollars and uh, the, and those, and the shares are their 100 shares and so those 60 shares were divvied up amongst the new investors, one of whom was Damian Marley of the Marley family. Well, it turns out they dropped out of that deal. They were kind of just used, you know, to have Hmm. their name to look like Marley family bought high times or something. They got out of it because they knew it was a scam. So, you know, things like that. If they, if they piss off and they burn, you know, people like Damian Marley, you know, how can you trust high times, you know, to have a bad relationship with the Marleys? You know, so um, so I just think that they've you know they've just burned so many bridges. I'm not uh-huh. hoping for them, I'm not hoping for them to go down the tubes, but you know, and I wish they could turn the corner. But you know, the magazine stopped publishing. All my friends yeah. are no longer there. So I you know I I just um, well, I, it's I, it's been mostly laid off now, and then just West Coast and outsourcing. And they've also gone through I think three CEOs in the past couple of yeah. years. They yeah. have, and that's where they're blowing through a lot of money too that they don't have because they're hiring high-end CEOs, high-paid people who have contracts, and then they get fired, and they're owed you know six months worth of pay, you know. So yeah. it's bad business, you know. I I mean, you could kind of point to, you know, around the time that Michael Kennedy, who was their legal and you know consultant, I mean, essentially ran the company, you know, with. Tom Prasad's family, the founder, Michael and his wife, Eleanor, but Michael died. 
and he was the kind of father figure up there and you know ran the place very you know like a real tight ship um and uh, people you know have great feelings for michael but you know he you know made some bad decisions over the years that harmed high times and and some of the decisions he made before he died were bad decisions too steering the company in a direction towards getting sold um, so, you know, there were a lot of bad and, decisions. And know, af well. after his death, there was a lot of infighting, I've heard as well, too. Well, his wife was thrown out, was thrown out of the office and locked yeah. out, so to speak. I mean, that's, you know, I'm not a huge fan of her as well, but I, but, you know, I don't, you know, well, they treated me poorly, you know, by yeah. the time I was kind of, I was thrown out of there for. So I want to, so for the book, pop culture, right? Is that the reason? Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go grab it. So I was looking at the reviews on this on Amazon. It has great reviews, and I, I haven't read it, but what uh, I understand, it's mere, basically a cannabis pop culture. Why in the world would you be fired or asked to leave or whatever the situation was over just writing an innocent pop culture book? Well, at that time, you know, I had been editor of the magazine with Dave Bienenstock and Rick Cusick for a couple of years. The magazine had kind of gone down. They needed us to kind of revive it. They made some mistakes going back, <laughs> more mistakes, you know, by the uh, the board of High Times, uh, which by the way, I was a member of at the time, but I was a minority member, so they didn't really listen to anything I said. Um, and so um, they just, you know, kept on, you know, sort of doing things that would, you know, would not, you know, benefit the company. Uh, and, um, you know, we came in and we helped get High Times back to where it should be financially and sales wise, but, they didn't seem to think that was good enough, so they uh, they decided to um, let us go as our team and bring in the old editor-in-chief, and he came back for a year, and things didn't work out so well with him. And it just was sort of a revolving door of editors around that time. And so they just didn't seem to kind of know what they really wanted to do with the company around then. Uh, so kind of, you know, really, high times, I know, I know people, you know, have good feelings of the period of time, some say 20, 2005 to 2015, but I really feel like post 2001, 9/11, you know, the company just went downhill. Uh, magazine sales slipped. They changed the focus of the magazine for a short time. Mm -hmm. uh, they gave it back into our hands, and they kept on shuffling people around and around, and they couldn't decide on an editor and couldn't decide on a particular focus for the magazine. And you know, they just think they just were sort of unclear what they wanted to do with the company. I think it's yeah. sort of showing now, you know, that they didn't really have a plan back then for legalization when legalization would happen. And once it did, the only thing High Times really decided to do then was to, you know, bump up their cannabis cup. They didn't really do anything else. You know, they just, you know, just opened the cannabis cup in the U.S. and they didn't really plan for legalization any other way. Interesting. So, um, so after that, you went to Freedom Leaf, or in between, you started the blog Celeb Stoner, right? That was uh, the interim. Yeah, that was kind of at the end of my my run at High Times. I, um, you know, I guess I didn't really totally explain that answer to that question. I kind of got a little off track, but but the uh, back to your question of like the the book and stuff like that. You know, when I left High Times, I was uh, I was uh, I quit. I didn't really like the whole scenario of what they did and uh, and the demotions and stuff like that that they were doing to me and the others. And so I decided I really want to continue in the role and I quit. And then they asked me to stay on as a retainer, just do some writing and do a some, couple of award shows I was doing. So I stayed on for, you know, like that. I left the office, didn't work there anymore. 
And, uh, and then I got a, uh, I heard from my friend Shirley Halperin, who had worked at High Times and now was doing some other stuff. And she had come up with an idea for a book, uh, which turned into pop culture, uh, which was basically terminologies. Like the book is kind of like a dictionary of terms of uh, words, uh, and each word tells a history. Uh, and then the back of the book is sort of a guide to culture, movies, music, television, cool shows, cool things, you know, celebrity busts, you know, some, uh, some, recipes, <laughs> uh, you know, and so things like that. And, and so we came up with a pretty good idea for a book and we ended up selling it. And uh, High Times got word of the book. I didn't tell them about it. I didn't feel it was necessary. And they got word of the book from, I don't know how. And, uh, and they kind of just got real nosy about it. And they wanted to see my table of contents. They wanted to know everything. And, and I brought up the table of contents one day and it was kind of a leaping through. And, and, I, and, I, and I got the impression High Times was maybe working on their own book. So oh. I think they got competitive with me and uh, they wanted to kind of slow me down. And, mm -hmm. uh, and they also also legalistically wanted to make sure there was nothing in the book that would somehow there be harmful to High Times, thinking that I might have some negative things to say, which by the way, there was nothing negative about High Times in pop culture. Uh, but, but because they acted so legalistic and yeah. difficult, we took every reference to High Times out of the book, except for just the one section under the H's with High Times. There were multiple references in the book. We took them all out, just like screw High Times. We're not going to give them too much love because yeah. they're being difficult. And um, and so they wanted to see the actual manuscript. They wanted all kinds of stuff. And, and it turned out that by that point, they were not very belligerent. Uh, and my publisher and my co-author and my agent were all kind of antagonistic towards High Times by then and felt like huh. we don't do them any favors. Uh, and uh, and it was, you know, kind of time for me to step away. And then High Times fired me on the heels of all that because I was being uh, insubordinate or whatever they might call it. And uh, that was that. So my career did in High Times that way. And that's why I don't have very nice things to say about some of the people who were responsible for that. One of whom sure. is not with us, but, you know, but I still don't have good feelings towards that person. They didn't, have to, they, they didn't have to treat me like that after 20 years. And, and I was such a High Times cheerleader. And I, you know, I think that's unfortunately always the way people who get married to a job where you don't have ownership in the company. Uh, I like I, I, no, I, I don't. No, I know you had some like stock, but I mean ownership. Um, in the more literal sense of like, this is my baby. Like I, well, I, well, I own the company where well, I, I can run it and do it. Like okay. I, I don't know. I've worked for people where even though I helped get it off the ground, it was you know, it, well, I didn't have the final say. So then right. it really hurt when, you know, I, yeah. So anyway, now if it's not something I wholly own, I try not to put my heart into it. <laughs> well, you learn the hard way there, but you know, yeah. in this situation, you know, I mean, I was brought in, you know, as a low end uh, shareholder uh, and, you know, I was entitled to be honest, but yeah. there was a lot of complications around that time of the trust that the company was left in for 22 years from the time Tom Forsyth died in 78 till the trust ended in 2000, the company was run by the trustees, which is essentially the family and the lawyer and his wife. Yeah. And then they were, the trust was never really clear what was in the trust until we saw it around 2000. And the, we were led to believe that the company was supposed to go be left in the hands of the employees who had been senior there. So the, who was going to be those senior employees? And I was sort of on the bubble of 10 years around that time. Yeah. And so, uh, so it was a little 
question of who was going to inherit the company. And it turned out that, that the company was inherited by the people already running it. Yeah. So they spammed their way into being employees and not being the trustees that they actually were. They ran things, yet they were supposedly employees. So they took over, they took 51% and gave us 49. Hmm. You know, so 49 just didn't give us any say. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, when I was, you know, got disenchanted with high times or, you know, in the around 2006, 2007, I sold my shares. Okay. Do you have a hard stop at one hour? Because... No, no, okay. Quick. Okay. Cool. I mean, right. it's not. It, it's not an hour yet. I just want right. to be answer, answer to your question about yes. freedom. Leaf, well, Slipstone and Freedom Leaf, just to kind yeah, of yeah. trace the steps. So, so while I was at um, still high times, you know, since I was doing all that celebrity stuff, I kind of was coming up with this idea for a celebrity website, and it was all very new back then. You know, I mean, there, you know, obviously High Times had a website, but there really was very little competition for cannabis sites back then. And I started very kind of slow. I started a blog spot. Um, website to just get my feet wet. Mm -hmm. I called it Blooming Ideas and it was just anything I wanted to write about. But it kind of taught me a few things, taught me how to locate a photo and article, told me how to do some HTML and fix some code, which most people may not know how to do now, but I can get in the back end of my website and fix things with code because I know how to do that. I don't, I'm not a code writer, but I know basics. Yeah. Uh, so I learned a lot of basics that way. And then a cousin of mine recommended I started a website you know, and then I came up with the idea Slab Stoner, uh, and I launched it in like late 2006, early 2007, right around the time Willie Nelson got arrested for marijuana, one of his several arrests in Texas. It kind of started as a site that was focusing on marijuana arrests, celebrities. A lot of celebs were getting busted then for, for pot and other drugs, less so now, thankfully, but back then, 60, 70, 80 a year. Um, and I would dig up the police reports and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of started like that, then expanded out into more cultural coverage and just general yeah. news stories. Uh, so I did that for like seven years, did pretty well in the first few years, because again, not a lot of competition, made a lot more money then than I'm making now, to yeah. be honest. Uh, I mean, there's multiple reasons for that, but I think mostly it was because it was, you know, the market wasn't overcrowded. You know, there was just a handful of marijuana blog websites. So I was among the first. It was high I, time. Cannabis culture, talk of the town, places like that. And I was one of the first. Scope, uh, skunk, dope. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I feel like an idiot, probably because I don't do my homework well enough. I do my own PR. I'm not on top of all this. I didn't know you were the person behind Celeb Stoner. I just always, I looked at you as high times and freedom leaf. I always thought, you know, you're, and I was like, oh, that's such a, a, a fun thing to have started. Honestly, I think it's really cool. It's a goal of mine to get in at one point to be famous enough to be called a celeb stoner. Um, but uh, yeah, I looked at the tag cloud and it's funny because you've mentioned Willie Nelson quite a few times on, uh, on your website and legalization, marijuana legalization gets 110 mentions i guess in articles or 110 articles and willie with nelson gets 99 <laughs> so that's about right yeah so he's just but, behind but, but, but it indicates that that's kind of what the website's about it's kind yeah. of on one hand you know it's a serious you know legalization site and on the other hand it's kind of a fun celebrity site so kind of For sure. like, married it too um so so it's from uh, you know i found it kind of odd that from 2007 to 2014 I was not offered any kind of job in the marijuana world. I mean, nobody even nibbled, you know, nobody. I mean, it might've been a couple of nibbles to buy Celeb Stoner, but mm -hmm. you know, other than that, you know, there was just 
nobody seemed to recognize that I was one of the few people out there that edited marijuana magazine. And there were a couple of more magazines coming out around that time. West Coast Cannabis, Kush, you know, I don't know, there were a few others and I guess Cannabis Now. And, and uh, no opportunities came my way. And then thanks to Chris Goldstein and Cliff Perry, of uh, Freedom Leaf, uh, I, uh, I got an opportunity to become editor of Freedom Leaf. And you know, Chris, who I've known via normal uh, over the years, friends, uh, he was brought on to be editor of Freedom Leaf, uh, the first two issues. Uh, and uh, I wrote for both issues. Uh, Freedom Leaf is a kind of a smaller version of a magazine. It's kind of like a, like a digest or a pamphlet in a way. Um, and the idea was to be uh, advocacy oriented, promote the organizations, the efforts of normal MPP, uh, women grow, uh, you know, the different groups, your group, uh, and just promote, promote them as much as we can throughout our pages and just do a, you know, kind of a fun ma magazine that focused on advocacy and the new wave of business, you know, because we were kind of getting in on that business side too. And Freedom Leaf didn't really find any footing in the media end of uh, things. And I kind of figured that would be the case because they didn't really have an experience except for me. And, uh, and it wasn't a newsstand product and, uh, and it was a giveaway. Uh, There's really no revenues and they didn't really have an advertising plan in place. When I came aboard, there was an ad rep and he didn't last and he was never replaced. We never had an ad rep pretty much for the next three, four years. So mm -hmm. we really weren't consistently trying to sell advertisements to make any money. So the company kind of shifted gears and started uh, CBD product lines and bought a few and started a few and felt that that was where the money was at, uh, where revenues could come in. And it was pretty, uh, you know, smart assessment. Yeah. Uh, and it turned out that last year, uh, High, uh, Freedom Leaf was merged with another company called uh, Green Lotus Hemp out of Dallas. And they now have renamed themselves GL Brands. They basically merged with Freedom Leaf. It still used the Freedom Leaf ticker because uh, Freedom Leaf was uh, OTC stock. And, uh, and at first they thought maybe they wanted to do something with the media property, meaning the magazine and the website, which I also ran. And they just killed the magazine immediately. So that one I just showed you was our last issue. I did 30 total of, well, back up one more time is that after the first two issues, Chris was a little overwhelmed. I had written to Chris saying that I thought it needed some improvement in overall in terms of the editing. And, uh, and I would just gave him some like a critique, like things he could do to fix. And Chris got back to me and said, do you want to run the magazine? Yeah, I don't think he felt it was really for him you know, to be the editor. Uh, I, I, I didn't want to take his job, but Chris really kind of laid it on me and thought I'd be better suited for it. So we did 35 total issues. I edited the, the last 33. Um, and uh, so I got let go uh, last August uh, after they killed the magazine and then killed the website, essentially. I mean, the website's still there, but they haven't added anything to the website since September. Uh, and I'd really done a good job building up that site, by the way, and I was a little sad to see it kind of go, and a lot of, lot, lot of nice content on that site uh, that I, you know, was mostly responsible for. Um, but you know, I didn't really know what be, you know, like I said, you know, from, from, from 07 to 2014, no offers of a job. Then I got the job at Freedom Leave. So finally something came through. It wasn't a high paid job, but I was able to work at home and 
you know, it, it was it was just right for me. It wasn't that hard. And also, when we started with eight mags a year, and that's a little too much work, I thought, for the money I was getting paid. We reduced it to four. That was a little bit better. Uh, and then I zeroed in on the website, which I, you know, wanted to really improve. So I, so I did that. Um, but um, to my good fortune, since I left Freedom Leaf, uh, I've had the opportunity to edit a several magazines that are published by Centennial Media. Uh, Centennial is a longtime publisher in New York who uh, rebranded under Centennial a few years ago. They were originally known as Harris Publications. And they've started uh, printing, uh, publishing um, some marijuana titles over the last few years that would be considered special interest issues, uh, say two a year, uh, devoted to CBD. So I was brought in to be editor of the CBD magazine. Oh, very cool. A complete guide to CBD. And previous to that, one of their other titles is this one, Marijuana Goes Mainstream. Very so cool. So I, I edited this one and the latest, this one. Now this one, this one came out right when the pandemic began. So I don't know if anybody saw it because nobody could get in a store because they mostly sell in Barnes and Noble and Walgreens and CVS, places like that. And, uh, but this one's currently out. So if people could get into stores, Please go find That's it. Awesome. I'll have to pick one up. Absolutely. Barnes and Noble, if it, these places are opening up, you know, I don't think mm -hmm. you can go to Barnes and Noble, New York right now, but elsewhere, you know, where things are opened up a little bit more. Probably you know, wherever, wherever like, magazines are sold. Uh, like supermarket checkout or probably, yeah, yeah, right? Even that, even yeah. That. yeah. Maybe even you know, Whole Foods. Because they're houses, open. Places like that. Yeah. So, um, as far as cannabis culture goes, because so many things we're talking about now, and you also wrote Reefer Movie Madness, which was a stoner film uh, guide. Now, the idea of the classic stoner, which is Cheech and Chong, who is, you know, legends. We're talking about Tommy Chong. You know, all those great movies and the just the motif, tie-dye comedy. Um, it's really being like kind of crucified these days as complete pushback against if we're ever going to normalize it, we have to crush that stereotype because that's what's holding us back. And in return, you're seeing like when you go to a conference now, everyone has to wear a suit. You know, you, you have to look this new part to fit this new cannabis. And I, I mean, I'm of the thought that we're completely sucking the soul and the life and the passion out of this. And um, like even so I had a, a friend who worked at High Times who told me a story of applying for a cannabis license. And the lawyer said, um, when he was talking about featuring his experience at high times, lawyers said, bury it, bury it. Like you don't even want that association because they want people to have this new corporate business acumen and mentality, which doesn't coincide with, you know, cannabis culture. So, so what's your thoughts on that? Well, with the, you know, the complete decline and, you know, uh, you know, of med men, you know, with, you know, that kind of tells you that that, whole concept is flawed you know that whole idea of forgetting stoner which is mm -hmm. what med, you know i i kind of, i i my response to med men was constantly forget med men uh you know forget stoner was a real great example of sort of attacking us on the high times sort of model uh and uh, and then you slept stoner you know i mean the term stoner is even considered negative these days you know it's considered almost like the n-word um you know it's our word you know it's like the n-word you know is uh is used in its own way and we use it in our way you know yeah stoner is has a negative use stoner you know so something bad about it um it's used negatively on people but you know you can define it however you want Chich and chong you know they're just an easy target you know because they look so funny and everything and you know they you know 
some people want to blame Cheech and Chong for you know, legalization taking so long. You know, it's, it's a cheap shot. You know, they did what they did in the 70s. Like I said, the fun time of the 70s, post the war when everybody just wanted to lighten up a little bit after a really difficult 60s and early 70s. And, you know, the peace movement, the anti-war movement, you know, I mean, it was, it looks like what was happening then looks like what's happening today. You know, with the with the struggles in Portland and stuff, and the tear gassing and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's it, 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 you. It's not really fair to compare then and yeah. now. You know, uh, give them the credit for what they did. But you know, some people think it's dopey. But people dope think it doesn't really represent what we want it to be. It's too. It's not serious. You know, it's yeah. we need to be more serious. And you know, but you know, you you talking about you know suits and ties. When I got involved in the late '80s, that issue was going on just with normal. Normal didn't like this scruffy, you know, kind of activists who were coming to their 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 events and really preferred people to wear a tie and dress up. You yeah. know, and. So there's been that schism for a while. Now it's a little more obvious, you know, with the big money that's come into the industry, trying to, you know, shoot down the history of who we are. You know, let's forget about who we are and how we got here and let's just make some money. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. It's really kind of, I, I feel like in some way we need the people to come in and cause we need the numbers and we need to hit a tipping point for legalization, especially going to a popular vote. But we're really seeing is it's just crushing and, and certainly not to pick on Cheech and Chong because I think they what they do is wonderful. They set a model for the stoner comedy for people like Dave Chappelle, for Seth Rogen, for these people to keep. And I think it's a great genre. And, and I'm saying they've been demonized for all these years. And, you know, if you take that all away, well, I mean, it's like taking away all the great alcohol scenes in movies. You know, talking about people getting drunk and college kids having well, fun. And well, well, furthermore, I mean, at this period of time, we're talking about diversity. I mean, Chich and Chong are pretty darn diverse. Yeah. You know, I mean, Chong is half Chinese. Uh, he's from he's from Canada. Mother is uh, Scottish. Father was Chinese. You know, uh, Cheech is you know is is uh, uh, is you know is a uh, Mexican American. So in that respect, they're way ahead of their time. And if anything, you know, they really represent the period of comedy in the 70s that was just wild and crazy. Steve yeah. Martin, you know, uh, Richard Pryor, um, Robin Williams, they're all of that era, you know? Yeah. Everybody had crazy comedy bits back then, you know? It was just a wild period. And so Cheech and Chong just represent that. I mean, their movies, you know, were fair. You know, I mean, Up in Smoke is great, but everything after that was a little bit less so. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as time went on, you know, I, I mean, Chong has really become a great advocate. Cheech kind of stayed away and came back. Um, you know, there's just respect for those guys. You know, we're going to yeah. miss them when they're gone. For sure. Um, so you received uh, the 2014 Normal Media and Culture, 2014, 2004 Normal Media and Culture Award. You've had award shows of our, your own. You did the Doobies, which were for music, and then the Stonies, which actually were for cannabis culture. Now, do you feel like an award show like that, uh, I know it's no longer going, but would it have a place today where everyone's award shows are for basically, you know, what company had the biggest IPO? <laughs> No, I wish, I wish, you know, I mean that, you know, high times kind of let it go, but um, I created the Stonies. Uh, it was an idea I had, you know, obviously take off on the Tonys, but, you know, but not, a, but not a Broadway, you know, uh, show. This was, you know, around that time, the late nineties, there was a big sort of 
emphasis on these sort of stoner comedies, less so now. Mm-hmm. But 20 years ago, they were really popular. You know, Big Lebowski, you mentioned Dave Chappelle, Half-Bake was that year. You know, Dazed and Confused, Friday, the Friday series. A few years later, the Harold and Kumar movies came out. It was quite a good run. You know, Pineapple Express, you know, all the Seth Rogen movies, you know, or, you know, Judd Apatow, Seth Rogen, you know, that team. So it was really a great run of movies around that time. And so that's like really what we were playing off of. There was just so much to, uh, you know, the idea of the Stonies was to, you know, celebrate, uh, you know, it's like positive depictions of marijuana and yeah. movies and TV, you know, not the negative. And if, if anything, we'd make fun of the negative and, and, you know, just, or just, just general depictions, you know, what was, what's the most accurate, what's the one that makes you laugh the most or cry the most, whatever it may be. And we expanded that to television as well. So we had some TV categories initially just started movies and it would just be best movie, best comedy, best drama, actors, music, you know, best scene, because, you know, there's like, in a lot of movies, it's just like one little scene where somebody sparks up a joint, you know, and that's the mm-hmm. only reference in a whole movie, or, but it could be the best scene in the movie. What, when <laughs> I have someone who I just like, who's not necessarily in cannabis, who I want to go on, that's what I'm searching. I'm like, come on, tell me they had one scene in one movie so I can bring them on the podcast. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that stuff was really just picking up uh, a lot of interest. And so that's where the Stonies came from. We started that in 2000. Uh, and we did that for four or five years in New York and my times was going through some changes. So we stopped doing it and then I left and then they uh, resumed the, the award show out in LA and they continued doing the Stonies for a few years out there and then they killed it. So, um, so it had, a, you know, had a life, you know, maybe seven or eight years, the doobies as well, but the doobies was, um, the doobies a music award show. And we started that in New York too. And that moved to Texas and we, uh, started doing it during South by Southwest. Bobby Black took that over when I was gone. So, uh, so, you know, those, those were kind of the ideas behind those events, but we had a lot of fun. I mean, one of the really nice things about high times, I could say negative things. One of the good things, you know, I could do hempelation, I could do award shows, I could meet all these bands, I could hang out backstage after shows. Uh, I could be an editor, I could be an advocate, I could be at the normal conference, I could be at, you know, the Pantherist concert, <laughs> all over the place, from one sure. thing, Seattle Hemp Fest to Boston, you know, to around the world. So, you know, it was a great opportunity to do a lot of things and wear a lot of hats. Yes. So do you think there's a place for um, award shows of that ilk? anymore or is it more that we belong in this business I, think, I have a friend who is interested in the stonies and really wanted to take it to a bigger audience make it really a hollywood thing yeah uh, and and was involved in the events that i did uh he's a producer out in hollywood and he's contacted me off and on over the years saying that he has some interest in the stony awards or some award show which would be along that kind of name you know an award show for movies music uh maybe a variety of entertainment and uh uh categories you know calling it whatever you want to call it uh and that there's been some interest off and on out in hollywood so maybe it will come back you know it'll be something i created now we're like 20 20 years ago maybe it'll come back so i think so why not why not Uh, something along those lines, you know, though right now it just seems secondary to everything else is going on, but who knows, maybe. Sure. So, 
on the topic of awards, you did something amazing for women. Um, I don't want to mention any names because I always say in cannabis, you know, we have a common enemy. We can't have infighting because that'll just break the movement apart. We need to have the common enemy of people who don't want legalization. But you did something really amazing for women. Would you mind if we talked about that a little? No, let's do that. Okay. So um, there was an award list that came out for uh, 100 greatest people of all time in cannabis. And you pointed out that there were like seven and a half women on it. Um, and I have to say, even before I heard of that controversy, it was the first thought that popped in my head. Because it's something as a woman who's been in cannabis for over a decade now, uh, I've seen the tide turn to where it's a little better. But it's really horribly skewed. Um, where I used to, you know, be at a convention floor, any of those you talked about, you know, from Seattle Hemp Fest to Boston Hemp Fest and everything in between. And people would look through me um, to maybe the guy who I hired to help me out and say, hey, can I talk to your boss? You know, or they would just think I'm the booth girl. So, uh, you know, it's been a, a uphill battle in cannabis performance in many ways a boys club. Um, but I also think as someone who has been around a long time, that people don't pay enough respect to who came before them. When I was at Boston Hemp Fest one year, Rick Cusick came up to me and he said, do you know who Brownie Mary was? And I didn't. Now I know it's Mary Rathburn, but he said, that's your spirit guide. You need to find out who that is. So I went home and I looked it up and all that. And uh, since then, I've gone to people, modern you know, cannabis people who've only been in the industry a few years. And now that I know a lot of the history, I'll go up to them and be like, hey, you know what? This is who your forefather was. You should look up this person and kind of pay homage to them or something. You could see them glaze over because they're just like, mm, whatever. Like, we're forgetting the shoulders of what this was built on. And I think that list, A, missed on some women and B, pointed out some people who were just very modern contributors who maybe were just famous to begin with and then they stuck their neck out a little. So um, I was really proud. But so at the end of my rant, what you did is you said you were on that list of the top 100 of all time. And you said, give my spot to a woman because this woman, this, there's all these great women who you've left off this list. And I thought that was, and then through Celeb Stoner, you put out a list of 500 women in cannabis. I was on it. Everyone who is contributing to this great movement was on it. It was a beautiful list. So just tell me a little bit about that without saying anything negative about anyone, because that's never my intention. Well, you know, that list came out, the 420 icons list. So obviously icons, I guess it's looking back to OGs, as they say. People have been around the uh, marijuana scene for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, it came out on 420. Uh, it was a real busy day, to say the least. And I saw it in the morning and I kind of scanned through it quickly. I was, you know, proud to be on it, but I didn't really give it a close look through. And, uh, and I posted it and I said, oh, you know, thanks for being on the list. And then I saw a couple of women post on it. Hey, where are the women? And, it, you know, I had to be woken up a little bit too. You know, <laughs> I was a little sleepy that day in recognizing it. It was Ophelia Chong and a few other women uh, in the marijuana scene who raised the point. And that pretty much was it for me. Is like, I looked at that list. Oh, you know, I can't believe it really was only seven. And, uh, and when I went through the list, you know, it's just like, well, I'm not saying people didn't warrant being on the list. There were a lot of Dutch growers that I thought maybe were a little overkill um, because nobody knows a lot of these legendary Dutch growers, you know, in the U.S. Uh, they have a place. They, you know, certainly had a lot to do with 
what people are growing these days, some of the seeds that have come over from, from Holland. But still, you know, so I mean, I think it was, a, you know, lacking in general in terms of missing certain people. But, but you know, I kind of looked at that list and I said, there's three women that are not on this list. And, I'm, you know, not including you, unfortunately, Tara, but we've been around a lot longer. And it's like, if they're not on the list, and, and this is supposed to be OGs, then what is this about? And so the three women were Elvie Musica, who is a federal medical marijuana patient. She's one of two people left in America who gets her marijuana from the federal government, that pretty bad weed the federal government grows, but she does still get it. And she was, in 1988, became the first woman to receive federally grown marijuana for her glaucoma. Uh, and she's about 80 years old and lives out in Oregon and years ago moved out to the West Coast so she could get her hands on better quality marijuana. And, uh, and she's complained vigorously about the poor quality of the government-grown marijuana. Regardless, she still gets it. Uh, and uh, I don't know how she could be forgotten. So she's number one on my list. I think she's, you know, she's like Brownie Mary. She's really like top of the line female icon in cannabis. Okay, they missed her. Then Debbie, Debbie Goldsberry, longtime friend of mine who runs Magnolia Wellness out in California, was one of the founders of co-founders of Berkeley Patients Group, started the Cannabis Action Network in the, in the 90s. Longtime friend with her. She's like one of the true leaders of the medical legalization movement in California. There's almost nobody more significant than Debbie in California when it comes to that. So she was ignored. And I've seen her ignored numerous times. And then Jody Emery, you know, it was like the princess yeah. of pop in Canada, you know, she, you know, for the longest time was married to Mark Emery, mm -hmm. no longer, you know, together they, you know, led a campaign to legalize it in Canada. Mark got into trouble, got arrested. They've since divorced. Some issues around Mark, but, you know, Jody's just great. And, and so, you know, how could they be left off? So I woke up the next morning, you know, what's, this is what happened. That night, 420 went by. It's a long day, lots of excitement. The whole day, it was a long day. It was on all kinds of programs including one by Debbie Goldsberry, a 420 event. And I got a call, of all things, on 420 night from Elby. You know, she calls me twice a year, maybe. So it was a 420, you know, call. Mm -hmm. Happy 420. And I just felt so sad that I couldn't tell her, hey, you're on this list. Yeah. But, you know, she's blind, so she wouldn't even see it, really. You know, she'd have <laughs> to be told. You yeah. know, and, uh, and I couldn't say, hey, Elby, you know, you're on this list. Congratulations. And I woke up next morning, I thought, you know, I'm just going to give up my spot and see if they'll give it to LB. And, and I put it out there and I got a lot of flack from the coordinator of the event, the Cannabis Business Awards, you know, who took, you know, offense to me criticizing, you know, sure. I, yeah. their selections. And, uh, and just, you know, was sort of getting it from all sides around by yeah. then already. Uh, so, uh, so my response, because she didn't respond very kindly to my request, yeah. first she said yes, and then she said no. You know, it's like, yes, okay, and then she said, no, you can't tell me how to run my awards, you know, program, whatever. Okay, so, uh, so I left it at that, and then I decided to write an article explaining why I gave up my spot on that list, and then following that, I put together my own list. It really wasn't my original plan, but it, on the heels of writing that article and the response I got, I thought it was time to put together a list that was sort of not biased by anybody's opinions, pros and cons. It's just an, a long list that includes as many women as possible yeah. uh, and just, just totally objective. I mean, as long as you have some 
place in the cannabis community. You've done something. You got one link out there online. Yeah. You have a company. You know, you worked someplace. You did something. You got arrested and you became an activist. Any number of reasons. I just look for like a link, uh, ah. maybe a, a a Facebook and look through Facebook or a LinkedIn and just just see who's who. Yeah. And I went through everything, magazines, Facebook, and I found, I was able to put together a list of 500. It was 500 women who have contributed to cannabis over the last 50 years or something like that, have made yeah. major contributions to cannabis, or who should be recognized for making major contributions to cannabis. Yeah. Uh, I'm lacking being recognized. The problem with these lists are 500, 100, you're just going to exclude people. So yeah. you know, you're going to kind of piss off people, think they should be on it, flatter people who are on it and, and make other people yearn to be on it, you know, yeah. because they work harder. Maybe they know they don't deserve yet to be on a list of like that, you know, but they're working yeah. towards it. So in one way that's good that it makes people work harder to you know be recognized, but in another way, you're always going to make mistakes and you're always yeah. going to have people chipping away at the list and saying, why this, why that, who, who, why, what, where, and you just can't win. Well, yeah, a, a lot of so things that, list that, that, that people are going to criticize, be mad about. So my list was 500. I seated with 500 and I opened it and I put it out there on, I think a Friday or I think it was a Saturday. I worked all weekend on that list because once I put it out, uh, I started to, and I asked people, you know, and at the bottom I said, you have more names, let me know, you know, and I just got an avalanche. Yeah. So, I mean, women it, and men, it was, a lot of people, I'm sorry. I'm I, Okay. interrupt but no it's just i just want to compliment you it was really touching like i know so many women whose days you made who it was just all over their social media oh my god but like because you know a lot of times you don't get the recognition and i still need, um, to, add, and I still need to add to that too you know i'll take a, now i've taken a little break from it i, I did yeah. you know, the first one so see 500 started by the end of the first round it was sort of about up to a thousand so it had doubled huh. You know, it, with everybody adding on and all the time I was spending looking up every name to make sure, you know, just to make sure. I'm just yeah. just when you give me a name doesn't mean I put it on there. I just have to do a little research just yeah. to make sure. I'd say 98% of the names made it, you know, and maybe 2% I couldn't find something on anybody. So eh. sure. then I'd write back to somebody, can you send me a link? And if they do, fine. If they don't, well, maybe not, you know, don't include them. But by and large, everybody was included. And then I did it another round three weeks later and said, three weeks ago, I did this, you know, uh, if you, if there's people on here that you think are missing, let me know. And that was another round up to 1400. So, so now I'm at 14. I bet if I did another round, I'd probably get up to 16 and 17. But right now, you know, we're concentrating on some other things. So I don't want to just focus strictly on the women's issue right now. Sure, you sure. Know, we're talking about issues that deal with people of color, Black Lives Matter. We're mm -hmm. dealing with COVID. So I don't really want to narrow it down to just women's issues at this point. No, for sure. And I would not have expected to be uh, on any you know, top 100 list. And a, a big part of that too is because I made a conscious choice to keep my head down because what I sold could have counted as paraphernalia. And I just didn't want my company to get shut down for paraphernalia law. So I said, if I ever become too vocal about, because like even had opportunities I turned down, which I don't know, maybe I regret, maybe I don't. But like Ed Rosenthal approached me to do the new version of the cannabis cookbook for Aunt Sandy many years ago. And I said, you know what? I think that's just too strong a link. Then my mix is going to be considered. So I don't know if I could do it all again. Maybe it would have been more fun to have actually made some bigger moves than I did. But I was there. I was there in the, you know, my little hood on in the back waving they're, at the people. They're a good company, Quick Trading. You know, they're, they're a good company to be affiliated with Ed Rosenthal and his wife, Jane. You know, yeah. maybe go back and maybe revisit that. It was a long time ago. I don't know if you'd remember me. Probably not. 
But um, you also the <laughs> I want to have him on the podcast though, so I will be reaching out to him. Um, but also another thing I was gonna say with that list. So there is a paper that has written about me several times. Um, and then they contacted me to put me on a forty under forty list, and they said, "But we would like you to buy some advertising." And I said, "Well, I want to. I want to buy some advertising." And I said, "Well, then you're probably not on the forty under forty list." I said, "Okay, then I'm not on it." But like, so a lot, a lot, yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot of those lists are just people who just pay to get on them too. So it's not even. I don't know. It's all just ridiculousness. Yeah, it's very advantageous. You put it all, put it on your website. I've been recognized as a, a yeah. You know, they're they're advantageous. So I'm I'm sure you know there's going to be people in our industry who are going to take advantage of that because they know people are trying to build up their careers and that might be a stepping stone. You know, sure. that's why you know I mean, a lot of people make fun of awards. You know, they just you know I, I've noticed in the in, in Facebook you know a lot of people make fun of all the awards that have been going on in the marijuana community. You know, I thought everybody just wants to just kind of like stroke each other and tell each other how great they are. And, uh, and but, you know, I, I like them in the right time and the right place, you know. Uh, and of course, I gave out awards. So I'm, and, I, and I'm sort of a student of award shows. So I don't really come down on awards and awards presentations. I think it's good to hail people for great work. Yeah. But you have to do it the right way and don't do it in a sleazy way and don't use it so that, you know, you're going to, you know, you'll get your award only if you do something for me. You know, that's yes. ridiculous. Yes. So the last thing, and then I will let you go. Thank you so much for your time. So you did another awesome thing for, for me, for the city of New York, is you've been doing the cannabis parade, the marijuana march, whatever you want to call it. So I have a picture of me with a curly haired Afro when I was at Fordham in 19... 90 something in the park when it was back in Washington Square Park. And then exactly 10 years later, I got to speak last year. It's so sad it was canceled this year. You did the virtual one. But um, yeah, it, it was so amazing. It was so full circle for me. And I, I, I did a really pretty poor job speaking because instead of like, just like legalize it sound bites, I was very much in conference mode from speaking at so many conferences and that doesn't go well. But, um, but nonetheless, it was an amazing, amazing day. And it's something that you've been doing for the city for a long time and you continue to do this year even under covid which was very cool to keep the spirit alive so i don't know if there's anything you want to add about the parade well you went to fordham by the way in the bronx uh i was in the bronx for a few weeks and then the manhattan campus yeah all right um uh you know it was tough to lose the event this year you know it was so close to when things started happening when covid spread started happening and I was pretty quick to recognize the problems of COVID as opposed to some other people out there who kind of like la di da. Um, I contacted our board members pretty quickly and said we got to cancel. And we also have to cancel right away because we have to show people that we're being responsible. We're not going to wait and string it out to the last minute. Uh, and I was watching all the other events in our industry, how they were handling it. Some of them were canceling right away and some were stringing it out to the last minute. String it out to the last minute, you end up with people going to Barcelona, you know, for the ICBC that didn't happen. And it was kind of dangerous for people to be going over there when they were shutting down Europe. So you had to make decisions early, not late. And I felt, you know, in our situation, we needed to, you know, show that we were responsible. And we did. We waited a few days beyond my request to like immediately. But uh, so we had to, you know, we're uh, an open air event with a lot of people, you know, sharing of joints, just the last thing we needed to do was be in Union Square on May 2nd this year. 
So yeah. we lost our event. Uh, we also lost our main advertiser, so uh, our sponsor. So we we were going to have a hard time putting that event on if people were going to come through and give us money. So in some ways, you know, it kind of gave us a break uh, to kind of reassess for next year if we'll have one next year. To be honest, uh, I think you know life has changed as we know it. Uh, you know, COVID's not going away so fast. We might have viruses years for all we know yeah. uh this might be just we, we're going to be living with this type of peril for a while uh that may extend into next year which probably will uh it may affect our event next year we may have to really redirect our focus as like what are we as an organization if we're not an well, event organization and i mean and, it's all speculation we're, 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 but we're, we're in a real tough spot right now experts are saying if there is a second wave right now the projection is april may so yeah, it kinda... it'll be the same thing as this year, you know, as it kind of went into the spring and, you know, continued from winter into spring. You know, I, I'm no scientist or doctor, but I've been studying this yeah. stuff pretty closely. And I'm very proud of New York and New Jersey, what we've done here. You yeah. know, I look at the numbers every day and I see the spread in other places in New York. Our numbers are way down. Thank goodness we did it right. Yeah. And I'm still doing it right. I still don't go out much. I still don't socialize. I don't eat out any of those those little curbside places. I'm just not taking chance. It's not that important to me. I, you've For spent sure. three, four months trying to protect yourself and then boom, you just go out and say, screw it. You know, <laughs> yeah, so pretty it's, much. You know, it's a, what's the point, you know? So yeah. for me, you know, I, I just think we are a good example, like say Italy, um, Italy's numbers are way down. Uh, Germany, you know, where you get a handle on it and it doesn't yeah. come back. You know, yeah. I'm not saying it's not going to come back in New York later on, but with the COVID spread around the country, it's not coming back here right now. Thank goodness. So, so yeah. we've done a good job. So let's just keep up the good work and maybe by next spring, things will change. Uh, but I'm very proud of the event. I've only been involved the last three years. I was, you know, tangentially involved when I was at high times. I helped out, pitched in, emceed here and there. Uh, then uh, when Doug Green stepped away a few years ago, he didn't want to be on the board anymore, uh, R&P Doug, uh, you know, they asked me to take his place. And I came in and the, the, the organization really needed a little freshening up. You know, it was really kind of looked like, you know, nothing had changed since 1973 or something. You know, it really was yeah. kind, of, kind of a little musty. And yeah, we needed all kinds of stuff, new logo, new website new design, new everything. I brought in a lot of new. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I think we really freshened things up. And, you know, but I think the key to the event is the diversity. Uh, it's a great diverse event. You know, it's not like uh, now that, you know, we have tremendous racial struggles in this country uh, that, you know, that we're deciding we want to make it a diverse event. It already yeah. is. Yeah. We, don't, we don't have to go and reach out to people of color, they already come to our event and they're part of our event. But what we are going to do is expand our board uh, so it's a more diverse board. We're working on that right now. Right now the board is three white guys and that's not okay. <laughs> that's so great. We, we recognize that and I'm sorry that it takes the death of George Floyd and all the other stuff that's happened lately for us to yeah. open our eyes and for us to wake up a little bit to our own reality. But you know, all of us, you know, out there, white people, you know, have to really look deep within and realize what they can do to help and truly yeah. be allies and realize that, you know, maybe they haven't thought about a few things that they could think about. And even I, you know, hadn't thought about that until, you know, I had to think about it and I had to realize that, you know, it's not okay. I, we have a group or organization that's not, 
it's we can't exist like this any longer so and we will you know we're going to change yeah. we're either, either going to have a change within our three or we're going to expand to five I think that was one of the more useful things to come, and I saw that go around a lot on social of people calling out to post a picture of your boardroom on social media. It did? Yeah, that was a big thing that went around. Like, you, you want to walk the walk, basically, because every company, you know, the same oh, way. Oh, yeah, like saying, like, oh, you care so much, post a picture of your boardroom, basically implying that it's mostly white males. And well, I think I, that really made people say, ooh, yeah. I, I will have to say that, I mean, most of my experience in the marijuana media, it's been mostly white organizations, white management. You know, uh, I'm part of that. So mm -hmm. I'm perhaps guilty of it too, although I'm not the owner, generally speaking. I own Sleb Stoner, but it's just me and a webmaster. Mm -hmm. uh, it's up to me to make sure that Sleb Stoner reflects what's happening in society. And I've been really looking for, you know, articles and content that will, you know, will discuss these matters, you know, more, you know, and steer the discussion in that direction. I mean, yeah, I'll have some fun with the website about any number of topics, but I'm really looking for things that are appropriate for now and try to scan around and just, you know, try and, you know, steer the coverage a little bit better. Um, That's what I can do with that. I know with Freedom Leaf and with my magazine that I'm right, right, I'm editing now. I can hire more people of color, and I should. So you know, awesome. I'm looking within. I'm looking within and realizing there's things that I should be doing that I haven't been doing. That's really great, Steve. This was amazing. Thank you so much. You're really generous with your time, and uh, I hope soon we can see each other face to face. That it's not going to be forever that we have to stay, but um, it was really good to catch up with you either way. So Same, um, here. We, same here, we could share a blazing brownie. Yeah, eventually, right? <laughs> Maybe at least by the time we get out, it might be legal. Okay. Um, so and good, um, and look, good luck to legalization in New Jersey. I oh, say that 75% 70, of legalization measures pass, so I really think it'll pass in New Jersey. Yeah, well, we have 65% popular support, um, you know, and there's some money coming into the state now to help really, I think the biggest challenge is going to actually being to get the people who do support it to vote because we have such uninspiring candidates. I think there's more than ever, a lot of people are going to be like, screw it. I don't like either of them. There's a pandemic outside. You know, people get lazy when it comes to mailing a vote or you don't want to touch a gross voter booth that a million people before you did. I think it might just be low poll turnout that hurts us. Do, do a little campaign, vote for weed, you know, put out a bumper sticker or something. Just people just love to vote for weed. They love to go in the ballot box and go, yes, weed, they love it. So, yeah. and honestly, honestly, I do think, okay, you know, uh, I'm not excited about Biden either, but I think generally speaking, you know, people are going to rush to the ballot box to get rid of Trump. So I, so I can only hope, especially in places like where we live, but, yeah. but you know, obviously we're going to, New York's going to vote against Trump, you know, the places that are borderlines where you need to vote against Trump and get him out of office. So it'll matter yeah. more there than it'll matter in a place like Jersey, Yeah. you know, where people are going to, you know, it, it's, it's not going to take, you just need more people to come out and vote. So they'll vote for legalizing weed. Yeah. But I, I think presidential elections, people vote. Yeah. It's the, so. it's the best time to have a, a initiative on the ballot. I mean, Four years ago, eight out of nine won. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Jersey's going to win. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm very optimistic. So yippee for that. Yay, we beat New York. Ha ha. Look, you're going to don't 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 rush don't jinx it that far. But I, I agree. I agree. You know, well, luckily for you that they have that. You know, within the legislature, uh, you know, they can you know, decide on having a vote and punt it to the voters. You know, yeah. New York wouldn't have that. I didn't know that existed in New Jersey until they did it. 
Yeah, well, then it also has to go back to the, the legislator now to and the Cannabis Regulatory Commission to come up with the guidelines. So that well, could, take a, that could take a really long time. Right, but at least it, get, it gets it going, right? If it's passed, then they have to work. They have working. to do it, yes. Right, right. exactly. So I think that's going to be the big news in November on our end. You know, there's a few other initiatives. Mississippi has medical, I believe, and South Dakota has decrim, which I don't think is going to pass. And uh, or legalization, South Dakota is an unlikely place to pass legalization. So I think you know, and Arizona may or may not get on the ballot. You know, so I think New Jersey is going to be the big news this uh, November. Yeah, I think we got this. Um, anything you want to plug? Social media? Anything coming out? Well, go get my magazines, please. I appreciate it. Go to the stores, try and find it. A CBD guide, a slebstoner.com. Uh, just keep reading and uh, doing your part to make society better. All right. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Bye bye. Thanks, Terry. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Trailblazing with Tara Masu. Trailblazers, if you could take one moment and go to Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, and rate and leave a review, it really helps other cannabis supporters find us, and it would mean the world to me. We have new episodes every week, so make sure you're subscribed so you're always getting the latest Trailblazing content. I would love to connect, and you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter as Blazin Bakery. That's B-L-A-Z-I-N Bakery. Check out BlazinBakery.com for awesome cannabis products, including our new CBD pet line, Blazin Barkery, a company I founded with my dog, Diablo. As always, my name is Tara Masu. Love you all, and keep on trailblazing.